Um, well, when uh, John sent me a message last night, I mean, I immediately thought, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't feel right, you know, stepping in on, you know, where he was at with the action stuff. So um, what I've been reading, um, I'm doing a, um, an annual plan, Bible reading plan, and I'm on Esther. So I thought we could talk about Esther. Um, one of the, the discussion topics that I looked at was um, God gives us all kinds of blessings. I mean, you know, for me, He blessed me with the ability to fix things. Sometimes I fix too many things. Um, I try to fix everybody's problems. Probably not the kind of mechanic that He wants me to be all the time. So, um, but God gives us all these blessings. I mean, He gave um, Esther, He gave her beauty. He gave her personality um, and gave her the the you know that, that fact that she was in the right place at the right time. Um, what blessings do we have that we should use to support God's ministry? I think any of us would have a good part of the ministry, right? If you're sharing your testimony, what God has done for you, what you've done in your life, that could be any of them. You know, maybe just sharing with that your neighbor, your co-worker, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. What God has done for you. So, come part of the testimony. When we have these blessings, what what is the what keeps us from? What do we think is the, the main thing that keeps us from using whatever these blessings are um, to help people? You know, if we if if we're really good at scripture, why don't we you know help you know put it out to people? Um, or I mean, whatever whatever our gift may be, whatever our blessing may be. What keeps us from being able to use that? You know, trying to toot my horn or anything, but you know, I, I, I have you know pretty, pretty good skill at fixing things, fixing cars, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to charge people for doing that when I when I fix somebody's car. I just, you know, I just want to do it because it's a gift that God gave me. I mean, it's what I do every day, you know, fix stuff. But um, to get paid is my job. But I don't like to, if I'm doing it for somebody, I just don't like to charge. Um, and I generally, when I've done that, I've tried to, you know, talk to people about the fact that, you know, that's, it's God. God gave me this skill. So I think, um, you know, the Bible talks about how we're one body but many parts. And, you know, some people's gift might be teaching, some people's 
you know, gift or ability might be doing physical work, doing, or, you know, um, some people, their gift might be to pray for the church. Some people, you know, are, they're, they're the givers, you know, they just give. And I think that no matter what your gift, I think that you can come under attack that the enemy would try to stop you. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if you're a giver, you know, some crazy unexpected expense may come up where you're tempted to be like, well, I just don't know if I can afford to give this week, you know, but if we just are obedient, then, you know, we end up being blessed in that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's funny, um, I was just thinking about this this week. Um, there was a lady in, in our church when I was, I was a teenager, so it's a million moons ago. Um, and I mean, she was actually like, she was on staff at the Christian school that I went to. And she uh, quit coming to church, quit teaching. And her reason for that is, my husband and I get along better when I'm not coming to church. And I mean, even as a teenager, I was like, well, of course, because, you know, he was not saved. He was not a Christian. So it created, you know, contention, whatever. But I was like, well, what kind of, you know, what kind of testimony, what does that say to him? How much this means to you? I'm just going to give this up to her. You know, and it's always really bothered me that, that she did that. It's like, what does it say to her kids? What does it say? But anyway, yes, so if we do, you know, the things that God called us to do and, you know, can, can push through those times at the end, he tries to stop us. I think there's great blessing in that, in the giver and the receiver. I believe that it's one of the things when we're talking about you know tithing and stuff that I, I, I've always been of the mind that you can't outgive God whatever whatever you do whatever you give wherever you're at you just can't I mean if you if you do whatever you do in faith he's gonna make it work out and I was also thinking you know what you were saying about you know that lady and her husband and I, I was thinking about the story of you know Lee Strobel. Um, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but um, case for Christ. I mean, he his his wife found the Lord, and he was not. If you've seen the movie or read the book, I've I've seen I've done both. His he was not happy. He was an avowed atheist, and his wife found the Lord, and he was just not a happy guy about the whole the whole thing. Um, to the point of, I mean. He was ready to leave, and um, she was not giving up. She, once she found the Lord, she was just not quitting. So it became an amazing story because, you know, she did the right thing. I'm trying to think. There was one of the great evangelists, one of the great, like, Smith Wigglesworth. Um, I don't know who that is, but... Um, I think that his that he used to lock his wife out in all kinds of things because she was saved before he was and you know didn't stop her and eventually I mean, he's do you know who Smith was? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he's one of the, I don't know if it's the Great Reformation or who I was, but he's, yeah, if you look him up, he's a very renowned Christian. Anybody else have anything? Um, you know, and in, in, in Esther, in the story of Esther, um, and I think it's Esther 4. I got it on my phone. Esther <clears throat> four, um, and uh, does everybody know the story of Esther? Anybody here unfamiliar with it? Okay, um, in Esther 4, um, Haman decided that he just did not like Mordecai at all. And um, he just went, he figured if he was going to get rid of Mordecai, he might as well just get rid of all the Jews. So he put out, he had the king put out an edict um, saying that on a certain, on a given day, all of the Jews could be killed. You could do whatever you wanted to a Jew. And um, Mordecai was very upset about that. Uh, and he put on canvas, wore sackcloth, you know, ashes and everything. And uh, it got reported to Esther as queen what was going on with Mordecai. So she sent, starting in verse 9, um, she sent uh, one of the king's eunuchs who kind of worked for her. She wanted, she sent him to find out what was going on with Mordecai. And in 9, he goes back to, to Esther and says, um, or told him what Mordecai had said about, you know, this is what's going to happen to the Jews. And... She instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal princes, provinces, know that for any man or woman who approaches the king, she's afraid of having to go and speak to the king. Um, you approach the inner court without being summoned. The king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends a gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Um... Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, um, and he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For you, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So she was afraid. And we were talking, you know, earlier about, you know, how fear can stop us from using God's blessings um, to help people. 
Um, in this case, it was a very dire circumstance. I mean, if she didn't use her, if she didn't do this, you know, all the Jews were going to be slaughtered. Um, it was lying for death either way for her. It was lying for death no matter what she did. Yeah. Yep. But she let that, I mean, you know, you could tell that, you know, she was very frightened of, you know, of this. Um, so I just thought, you know, when, when I had asked that question, you know, about what do we allow things, what things do we allow to keep us from doing, you know, passing on God's blessings? Um, it's not usually anything as serious as death. What's that? I said it's not usually anything. The things that keep yeah. us aren't anywhere near what Esther was facing. Like, it's not usually. Exactly. Like, oh, if I do this, I might be killed. Not in this country, anyways. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind, Steve, that this whole whole thing was like a, a twelve-year period from beginning Esther to the end. Yeah. Something that didn't happen in, in six months or so. It was spread out over time that all these things changed. Yeah, I was when I was going through it last night. I, you know, I, when I decided this was what I was going to talk about, I was doing a little research about Esther. I got there yet, but um, uh, something that I had heard before. Um, it, it said that Esther is one of only two books in the Bible that does not mention God. He's not mentioned, you know, as in, you know, God. And um, I just, I just thought, you know, reading through it, having read through it the last week, I, I realized that it doesn't mention God. But man, can you see all the different ways that God is, you know, I mean, just woven through the story? Um, you know, people were placed in the right in the right place at the right time. Um, how would things have been different had Esther not been there? Um, or, you know, Mordecai for that matter. <coughs> or even Haman. I mean, you know, you gotta look, as evil as Haman was, he gave to me, whether God mentioned or not, he gave um, all the people a chance to see God's power. Although people today might say it was just karma that got him, but I don't believe much in that karma stuff. I love the verse, though, that says, yet who knows? Well, it's the end of end of 14, I think. Um, anyway, the statement where he says, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And, you know, it's like, I think that that's something that every single person needs to realize, that they weren't born randomly, you know, just because, you know, that God placed them on earth at this moment in time 
for a particular reason. And we have a purpose. And, you know, you were born for such a time as this, whatever, whatever that may be. Who knew that Tate was born way down there in Springfield, that he was going to, yeah, great minds of collecting. In that distant land. Yeah, in this distant land, <laughs> way down here in the valley. I mean, and just think about even to expand on that, like I went to NKU, I met Heather because I went to NKU. I've been to Bellevue because Heather's sister lives down here. I came to Christ and ended up here, you know, to expand on that story. But None of those things are coincidence. No, I mean, I think it could go for anybody. I mean, I I drove by this church because we bought a house up the road and just saw a bunch of cars in the parking lot. I'm wondering, where are all these people coming? This little bitty town. Where are all these cars coming from with all these people in this Must church? Be something going on there during during COVID, you know, and um, two Sundays in a row, and you know, Betsy said, ah, you know, I, I think we got to check out a whole bunch of churches, you know, before we pick one. And once we came here, we just never <laughs> want. I, I can't imagine wanting to leave. I mean, man. I don't know. I don't know what what turns God has in store for us, but I love it here. In reference to talking about God not being mentioned, my on my notes page under key themes it says divine providence. God is not mentioned by name in the book of Esther, but it shows clearly that even when God is most hidden, He is still working to protect His chosen people. My part says divine providence, which I wanted to read, says it is unlikely the lack of any mention of God in the book is accidental. It leaves the reader to ponder the work of God, evident but unseen, in the unfolding story of deliverance and redemption. This is fitting since Jews in exile will be tempted to find lack of evidence for God's overt presence to be evidence for his actual absence. The book of Esther counters this notion, depicting God's providence as ruling even in even the events of foreign lands during exile. It says the principal message of the book of Esther called all Jews to celebrate Purim. The purposes of Esther can be distinguished in two types. Those purposes that pertain to the original audience of the book during the Persian period and the broader theological purposes that transcend the book's original readers. Go ahead, Mary. We go a little uh, short and devotional, and it said that this is something that Jewish people read every year, and it's like a celebration and it said that every time they say Haman's name they spit and hiss. Oh. So you can imagine like, the liveliness of reading this story with a big group of people spitting and hissing like you just don't see that <laughs> but it just brings a different liveliness to the story I think than when you're just reading it like any other story. 
<laughs> so I hadn't heard of the spitting and the hissing, but it's this. We saw that in the Huh? Yeah, we did see, yeah. But I mean, not over Haman and them. Was it? Was it? Maybe it was. Yeah, because they were celebrating. Oh, yes. Yeah, they said it was a holiday. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, something else that I found out, and I, I don't know, I, I saw conflicting things, but um, according to the Talmud, um, which is, I don't know, it's what, according to what I was able to find on it last night, the Talmud is what Jewish scholars use as their their bylaws or their, their so some of you people might, you know, probably know the Bible much better than I do, um, or, you know, how the Bible interacts with this other stuff. Um, Xerxes and Esther, according to the Talmud, had a son, Cyrus. And um, if you read on, you find out that Cyrus is uh, the king who issued the edict to allow the Jews to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And um, I mean, according to what is taught from the Talmud, you know, probably the reason that he did that or the reason that he was that way towards the Jews, very soft-hearted towards the Jews was because obviously his mother being a Jew. I seen some stuff though that contradicted that that said that maybe that wasn't true, but I don't know. Anybody else know anything on that or heard anything like that? Sounds like something Mary Carol would know something about. Hey, you're an <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that just surprised me. I mean I mean it would it would explain a lot, definitely. Because there were a lot of people, I mean, if you read the story, um, I think it's in Nehemiah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in Nehemiah. Um, yeah, where it talks about them going back. And there were a lot of people who were coming to Cyrus and saying, you know, you know, these Jews are doing this and they're going to build this wall and, you know, they're, um, you know, they're going to fight you and they're, they're doing this all in preparation to, to rebel. And, you know, he kept, he had patience with them and he kept going, you know, he kept supporting them in everything that they did, giving them money, giving them the, the possessions that were taking, taken from the temple so that they could put it back. It also said, though, um, that according to the Talmud, um, even though he was the son of a Jew, which should have meant that, in according by Talmudic ritual, he should have been treated as a Jew. He was not. He was treated as a Gentile.
Anybody got anything else they want to share on all that? Any thoughts? If that one, if Esther was his mom, she could have even still been alive. Just doesn't mention it. You know what I mean? But, and that's another funny thing that they said, according to Talmudic um, beliefs, is that she was actually much older than she's portrayed. They said somewhere probably between the age of 40 and 80 when um, she went to the king. Well, wait, if you're just reading the book, it does seem like the events happened back then. Yes. Well, saying if they were spread out over more like 12 years or more, then that, that would have, I always pictured her as a Teenager or yeah. early twenties, but I think that's but you know, it's interesting that she was an orphan, you know, and with probably very low social status and then to become queen and then she became the person that God uses to save her whole people. Um that's a very big deal. It's an amazing story. I mean, I I, um, I didn't know kind of where to go with it. Um, other than I, whenever I get to that that part of the Bible, anytime I'm reading through it, I, it's just I, it, I mean, it's a fairy tale story. You know, it's this girl, you know, who, like you said, you know, she's living with her uncle um, because her she doesn't have parents and. Their Jews are in exile, so they're already the lowest of the low people. And, um, you know, then you, you read about what Queen Vashti did and how, you know, she was you know, arrogant, arrogantly, you know, told the king that she's not coming. And, um, has anybody seen um, the movie? I guess it was a play, too, One Night with the King. Has anybody seen her? Can't, the movie's pretty, I mean, acting's not the greatest. Um, older Christian movie. I think it was released sometime around the year 2000, one way or another. But I mean, it's it's pretty good. It follows the book really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it, I, I think somebody was to take the time to to make a really good movie about it, I think it would it would probably sell a lot of tickets. Be a great Disney princess. What's that? Be a great Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you reading that said something about a um, It is... Yes, they're four. I think it's in chapter four. Yeah. It's like Esther four, four or five. Um, Esther called Hat Hatch, one of the king's eunuchs. Does anybody, not to be vulgar, but does anybody know what a eunuch is? Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Just check it. I don't know. There you go. A eunuch is a is a man that was castrated to guard women. Now just, you know, we, we talked about, remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, yoke. Yeah. Like there's so many words that we just glance over in, in scripture. Like, um, 
don't know how many times how many times I read yoke and I never really made the connection until we talked about that word. And I don't think eunuch has the same impact, but it's a it's a word that we see a lot and we just sort of Stand past it and think, well, I don't even know what that word means. Where is it at? So Esther, you were breaking captive there. Esther, all of the men were eunuchs. If you were around the king, or you had to be around the king in his court, or whatever, chances are, if you were, you know, that, you know, you were a servant, you would, they were most likely eunuchs. Well, they didn't have the Trinity test back then, so that would pretty much assume that anyone that would be around the queen would would need to be. That way, they could be sure that any offspring of the queen. No hanky panky was going on. <laughs> but this is an interesting part of uh, the story of Jezebel when her eunuchs, who were the people that were supposed to protect her, actually turned around to them. <laughs> No, I think it's one of those words that you just kind of, in reading, just skim across as like a priest or like a you know servant or you know really. Yeah. So Joy, now you know. <laughs> They're dedicated. <laughs> Very dedicated. Well, some of them are slaves too, yeah, so they they had no choice. No. Gosh, that's awful. Nice little lighthearted discussion. Wow. Time to go. Anybody have anything else? Want to share? Still has some to do that. On that note. We need to know these things. Yes. True that. Did you get that on the report? It's like the questions your kids or grandkids ask. What's this? What do you mean? I would have never. I would have never known. I guess the most popular the thing that I, I can't like quote the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What is that in Acts? That's the, that's where the word stands out the most. In, yeah, I, it's in the New Testament. I think it is. Is it in Acts or is it in? Talking about where he, he leads him to, he ends up talking to him. He leads him to faith, something. Yeah. But speaking of him, he baptizes him too, doesn't he? Maybe. It says Acts 8 26 through 40. Acts 8 26 through 40. Mm-hmm. Was a court official of Candace, the Queen of Ethiopia. <laughs> well, thank you all. Appreciate you. Appreciate you not throwing rotten fruit at me and stuff. So that's always a good thing. What are you preaching on in a few weeks? Forgiveness.
mainly about us forgiving. We're already forgiven. We know it, but maybe we don't always show that to other people. So pray for me on that because I'm still trying to get everything together. I've got a really good outline. It's just getting everything lined up how it needs to be so that it's coherent. So if he, so if he preaches everything he's got, he might be a long time. Yeah, it could be. I mean, we could be here for a couple hours. If I, if I was to preach everything that I that I that I want to say, it could take a while. So um, pare that down. I think it's interesting that Tink brought up the Philip and the Ethiopian because, um, you know, twenty six says that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, Gaza, whatever. And again, that is God placing you exactly where you need to be at that moment. Like, this is not, you know, I don't want you to just go take a walk to get your steps in, Philip. This is like, you are here, and that unit was sitting there reading for a purpose for a reason. No coincidences. Just like Esther being placed where she was. I just think that's so important. I, I can't remember uh, when we went to the hardware store, Harbor Freight, whatever, yesterday, and that girl, there was a girl at the register had a tattoo, and I told her, I was like, I like your tattoo. She's like, which one? Because she had focus. But <clears throat> her arm said, you are a person of worth created in the image of God. And she said, my grandpa always said that. And um, and I think that that's, I mean, my heart breaks when I hear about people committing suicide and stuff because that to me is the thing. They've lost, they've lost hope. They don't realize that their life has value and worth and meaning. And it's like, you know, you are a person of worth. God has placed you on this earth for a purpose, and that purpose may be to change one person's life, but what if you weren't here? Sorry. Maybe you should preach in a couple weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us, dear Lord, and thank you for our ability to be able to share it, study it. Thank you for these four walls, dear Lord, uh, this church, the people in it, dear Lord. Uh, Thank you for Tink and and all that he's meant to our congregation, and dear Lord, just uh, be with him today. And if there's anyone who doesn't know the Lord today, dear Lord, please let them come forward. Let them be welcomed into your family. And we ask all this and we give you thanks to the Lord in Jesus' name and as you would have it. Amen.